Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, even though this was a situation that was connected with Jewish practices and Jewish traditions, you're hopefully going to see tonight that some, if not all, of the wrong mindset that the Pharisees and the scribes had has carried over to this day in the church. And so we're going to talk about that a lot tonight. As we have also been doing throughout our study of Matthew, we need to look at the other Gospels to see what they say about this episode to get a fuller understanding of all that's happened the only other gospel, though, in this situation that has covered this section or this episode in the life of Jesus is the gospel of Mark. So go to Mark chapter 7 and put a bookmark there because we're going to be going back and forth between Matthew 15 and Mark 7 tonight. We're going to look at Mark 7 verses 1 through 23. You're going to see Mark brings out a little bit more information. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, this is to Jesus, some of, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they wash and wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the, to the tradition of the elders? But eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. 
And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now go back to, you'll see it here in Mark as well, in Mark 7, but also in Matthew 15. Go back to Matthew 15, and I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is in Galilee, and this group of Pharisees and scribes is from where? They're from Jerusalem. Think about that for a second. Jesus is in Galilee, and he's done most of his ministry in Galilee. He actually didn't go to Jerusalem very often at all during the three years of his ministry, only whenever the Lord led him to go there or during the times of the feasts when he would fulfill the law, when the, the men were supposed to come and show up in Jerusalem. Go back to Matthew chapter, 11, uh, chapter 4 real quick. Go to Matthew 4. Let me kind of remind you of what we covered back then. Matthew chapter 4, look at verses 11 uh, through 16. It's the end of the, the, uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he, this is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So we see that Jesus spent most of his time where? In Galilee, in, in, in the northern part of Israel. Jump over to John chapter 7 real quick and look at verse 1. There's another reason why Jesus stayed away, not just to fulfill the prophecy that he was going to be doing most of his ministry in Galilee. In John chapter 7 verse 1 we see another reason. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. If you remember, he's staying away for lots of reasons. One, fulfill prophecy that he would be doing most of his ministry in Galilee. He would go when it was time for the feasts, when the law said that Jewish men had to go into Jerusalem for the feasts. But he stayed away most of the time because every time he tried to go to Jerusalem, they tried to kill him. And you remember near the end of his life when it was time for him to die and he went back to raise Lazarus from the dead. The disciples, when he said, let's go, the disciples were like, wait a minute, don't you remember last time we were there? They tried to kill you. And, and he pretty much said, it's OK, it's time, you know, kind of a thing. So the big guns now from Jerusalem come to find fault with Jesus. He's not coming into Jerusalem enough, but word is spreading all through Israel about this guy. So they send the big guns, the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem up to find fault with him. Now they do it in an interesting way this time, though. They don't do it directly, but they do it indirectly. What they do is they accuse his disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders and thereby subtly accusing him of teaching them that it was okay to break the laws that the Pharisees and the scribes had written. In other words, by pointing out that his disciples weren't eating with 
ceremonially washed hands like the tradition of the elders had been passed down to teach, and we're going to get into that in just a second. They were also at the same time saying the fact that you let that go means that you don't care, or at the same time you're teaching them that that's okay, and they're breaking the tradition of the elders, and they're really going after Jesus, even though they're using the disciples to do that. Now, the scribes were the lawyers, by the way, and to be a scribe you had to be a Pharisee, but they were another level of Pharisee. They were the lawyers. And uh, the tradition of the elders, though, that is referenced here. I'm going to hopefully kind of help you out with that. The tradition of the elders was a group of extra biblical laws that had been made up by the Pharisees. Now, when I say extra biblical laws, what do I mean? They're not in the Bible. They're not from the scriptures. They're extra biblical. These are rules and laws that the Pharisees, especially the scribes, had been handing down orally. Uh, this all started about after the Babylonian captivity. That's when these things started to happen. And it wasn't until the second century that they were actually written down. And they're all written down. If you want to go look at them, it'll be very interesting for you if you like that kind of thing. They're in a book called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the oral tradition that had been written down for all the instructions. And what they would do is that they would take a truth from the Word of God and then they would say, well, okay, if that's true, then in order to fulfill that, you have to do this, 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 and this. And they would make extra rules and traditions that people had to follow in order to keep what they said that the Bible taught. Now, we'll get into that in a little more detail uh, in just a little bit. But first off, I want you to understand the law of Moses, God's law, had no requirements for wash, washing your hands, except for the priests who had to wash before they ate the holy offerings. Remember, people would bring their sacrifices. Then there was a portion of it that was to be eaten by the priests. Go to Leviticus 22. The only place you'll find any kind of reference to washing before you eat is in Leviticus 22, but it's only for the priests. Leviticus 22, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and then for the sake of time, we'll jump to verses 6 and 7. In Leviticus 22, look at verses 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if any one of all of your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Jump down to verse 6. The person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. So this instruction is for who? According to verse one. To Aaron, and his sons. Who's Aaron? That's Moses' brother. And he is the father of the Levites. All right. And so this is only for the priests. Now, the oral tradition about hand washing had nothing to do with hygiene. By the way, if any of you mamas out there that are listening or here tonight and you thought, man, I thought sure I had a perfect place, I could take them here and say, you got to wash your hands before you eat. No. And I've actually heard mothers even use the passage where Jesus rises from the dead and they go into the empty tomb and they see that his uh, sheet was folded up. I've heard moms say, even Jesus made his bed. You need to make your bed, you know, kind of a thing. So you can't use that for this because I'm going to show you in, in just a second here this oral tradition that was written and passed down by the Pharisees and the scribes to the Jews to, to keep was not, had, had nothing to do with hygiene. 
It was a ceremonial type of washing. And so what they would do, and you can go double check me by reading the Mishnah, is the person who had to have their hands washed would hold their hands with their fingers up like this while someone else poured water over their hands and the water dripped down their wrists. Then they would put their hands down like this and they'd pour more water and the water would run with their fingers down, run that way. And then they would take a fist and twist it in their palm of their hand on each side. So whenever they would go to eat, they would do this with someone pouring water, then they'd do that with someone pouring water, and then they'd twist their fist and that was their ceremonial way of showing that they're clean to be able to eat what it was. Go back to Mark chapter 7. Look at verses 1 through 6 again. They made this rule to make themselves holy if they came from the marketplace, and they might have touched something that had defiled them. And so to do that, look at Mark 7, uh, verses 1 through 6. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus again, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. You go back and double check what it actually says in the Greek. It'll actually say, instead of properly, it'll say, eat without the twisting of the fist. Sound familiar? The twisting of the fist. So they don't eat without washing their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace and they don't eat unless they they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and even dining couches. And so the mindset of the Pharisees was. You don't want to be unclean because you might have touched a Gentile or you might have touched something that was unclean. And so they would consider themselves holy if they went through this tradition of washing their hands in a certain way symbolically before they ate. And they would do that. Now, they thought that if anyone ate without this type of ceremonial washing, they and what they had touched and what they ate were now defiled. And that defiled them even more. So. Jesus now responds to them in a very interesting way. When they come and they say, um, how come your disciples are eating with unwashed hands? Jesus' response to their questioning of his holiness and his disciples' holiness in comparison to their holiness was very interesting. Now, did you catch what I just said? Their question was that they were actually saying that Jesus wasn't holy or as holy as they are because he was allowing his disciples to do this that they were doing. And the disciples weren't as holy as they were because they weren't doing what the, they were doing, the Pharisees. You understand? And Jesus' response to them is what? Does, he, does anybody catch what he called them? Hypocrites. Religious phonies. That's the first thing he says to them. You hypocrites. Look at Matthew 5, 15, verses 7 through 9. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jump over to chapter 7 again. Hope you got your bookmarks still. We're going back and forth. In chapter 7, look at verses 6 through 8. Mark 7, verse 6. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but in their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. In front of all these people, as the Pharisees are coming and attacking Jesus, calling him not as holy as they are, and attacking his disciples and saying that they're not as holy as they are, Jesus in front of all these people calls the religious leaders religious phonies. That had to make them really like him a lot. <laughs> but then he points out two things. I want to point out the two things that he points out, and then we're going to break them down a little bit. He points out to them first that Isaiah's prophecy about them was spot on. He said, hey guys, Isaiah prophesied about you guys, and he nailed it. And the second thing he points out is, he shows them that they were rejecting the commandments of God in order to follow the traditions of men. Go to Isaiah 29. Look at Isaiah 29, look at verse 13. This is where he quotes from. Now you're going to say, well, that's a little bit different. Actually, it seems different, but if you compare what Jesus said in what's recorded there in Matthew and Mark with the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew, of the Old Testament, you'll see that Jesus pretty much word for word quotes from the Septuagint. Anybody want to take a wild guess why he quoted from the Septuagint? Sorry, go ahead, Tim. Why do you think it is? Nope. They were familiar with it. Remember, these are people that are now living under Roman rule. They've been under Greek rule before that. When Alexander the Great came over, came in that area and started taking over, he made this Koine Greek. And most of the Jews even had been raised to understand Greek. And the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So when Jesus points out to them that Isaiah prophesied about them, he quotes from the Septuagint. Look at Isaiah 29, verse 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. He said, you guys look like you're worshiping me. You honor me with your lips, but I know you better. Your heart's not there. You're actually more interested in your own rules and your own traditions than you really are about following me. And on top of that, you're rejecting God's word to follow your traditions. And then Jesus gives them an example. The oral tradition passed down from the elders and not in the Bible stated that if anyone declared that their money or their possessions were Corban, which actually means given to God or dedicated to God, then those possessions or money could only be used in service to God. Now, that sounds like a harmless thing. Sounds like an innocent thing that they would declare certain things are dedicated to the Lord. But actually, it was something that children of that day were using to get back at their parents. I'm sure you've never heard of any children being estranged from their folks. Uh, you've never heard about parents and children having relationship issues. And so I'm, I'll be just fill you in. That happens a lot. And what the kids would do would take this tradition of the elders and they would declare that everything they had was Corbin, is given to God, dedicated to the Lord. Now, because of that, I know mom and dad, you're in trouble right now and you need a little financial help. I'd love to. I really want to, mom and dad, but I just can't because I can't take money that was dedicated to God and give it to you. This is everything I own is committed to God. And what God, Jesus says is this. He says, in making your tradition, you've actually, 
made the tradition of men more important than the Word of God. And he quotes from two Old Testament passages. I'm going to show you the two Old Testament passages first, and then we're going to look at how he quotes from them. So go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 12. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse 12, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Jump over to chapter 21 and look at verse 17. In Exodus 21, verse 17, Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now, the word curses could also be translated reviles or dishonors. Whoever dishonors his parents or reviles his parents, whoever curses his parents, should be put to death. Now I'll go back to Matthew 15 and look at what Jesus says here in verses 3 through 6. In Matthew 15, verses 3 through 6, we see Jesus says this. He answered them and he says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. Where is he quoting from there? Exodus 20 where? Verse 12, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Where is he quoting from there? 21.17. See, look at you guys becoming Bible scholars already. That's Exodus 20, verse 12, and Exodus 21, verse 17. He says, you, you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone calls, or if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jump over to chapter 7. Because chapter 7, and what Mark, Mark chapter 7, uh, um, what, what is recorded here in Mark is going to launch us into a very interesting part of our study. Because it's going to move from what they were doing to what we've been doing. In Mark chapter 7, look at verses 9 through 13. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother... And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Listen to the last part. And many such things you do. What I'm going to do for a little bit tonight is I'm going to talk to you about some of the things that we have done in the church over the years that is exactly like what the Pharisees did. Where we have over the years in the church taking a, taken a truth from the Word of God and then we say, well, in order to keep that, you have to do boom, 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 boom. And we make man-made rules and traditions in our churches and we actually ignore other parts of the Word of God because we're more interested in our traditions. Now, before... Um, I show you specifically, and let me just tell you, I'm going to get into two specifics tonight. And I, some of you might be upset with me tonight because I stepped on one of your favorite traditions. But at the same time, we're going to deal with that at the end of the study. So don't get mad and get up and walk out. I'm going to deal with the fact that there might be some people that don't see it the way I show you it is here in the Word. And so stick with me. We're going to deal with that tonight as well. But 
let me explain to you how this comes about. As we've already seen, God did say that the priests were to wash if they touched anything unclean before they ate, correct? So wouldn't it make sense to say that if everyone washed before eating, it would keep them too from becoming unclean? I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if he said that the priests were to wash before they, because they touched something unclean, why wouldn't it, why would it be a bad thing for the tradition of the elders to be passed down that everybody needs to wash and that'll keep you from becoming unclean if you've touched anything? It makes sense. It sounds, I mean, why would that be a bad thing? Yeah, it not only waters it down, not only did God not say it, we then start judging whether or not people are holy in our eyes as compared to us by whether or not they keep the traditions of men. And folks, I have seen us do this with religious rules about what can be brought into the sanctuary or worn in the sanctuary. If you think back over your experience of Christianity and your years in the church, we were taught that the sanctuary, I'm pointing over here where it is over for this church, that the sanctuary was the place where God dwelt. And that is to be treated with respect. And you weren't allowed to bring a soda in there. You weren't allowed to bring anything in there. And on top of that, you had to dress in a certain way when you went to God's house. Anybody ever heard that? I mean, I've even had people say, I mean, good grief, if you're going to meet the president, you would dress up. How much more would, should we dress up when we go meet with God? Again, taking a little bit of truth from the word of God and extrapolating from it and making a man-made tradition that now all of a sudden what we do is, is we judge everyone around us in measurements of our ideas of whether or not they're holy according to whether or not they keep the traditions that we have set up when the scripture actually doesn't say that. And without realizing it, we actually, when we say that that's where God is and you need to treat that place as special. And I actually I preached at this church in North Carolina years ago that had a sign on the door that said, pray before you enter. That's a little scary, to be honest with you. I'm thinking what's about to happen when I go in here <laughs> that I need to pray. But go to Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 24. Paul speaking to a group of Greek thinkers, they're called the Areopagus. It's on Mars Hill in Athens. And he's explaining to them who the true God is. He's found all these idols and all these shrines to all these different gods. They even had one to the unknown God case they missed one. And he's explaining to them who this unknown God is. And in verse 24 of Acts 17, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Pretty clear, isn't it? Yet we've been taught that that's where God is. Well, Jim, isn't that what happened? In the Old Testament, Jim, I could show you where the tabernacle was made by God. Or actually, God had Moses make it and these guys make it. But when it was finished, God came to indwell the tabernacle and everybody had to back away. And when he came to indwell, he put his pillar of fire above it that showed his spirit came to indwell it. And when they built the actual temple, which was a permanent spot, it was a holy place. And God's spirit moved into the temple. Shouldn't we treat the place where we go meet with God as sacred and holy and special? It makes sense. Yeah, well, we'll get to the body in just a second. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them at the time, y'all. 
They didn't, well, and, but at the same time, what happened at the cross? Uh, at the time of the cross when Jesus died, what happened? That veil was torn from top to bottom. That whole, this is a special place, was removed because, you remember in Acts chapter 2? Is there in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had told him to wait for? I don't know if you all caught it because most of us get caught up in the whole tongues thing because they spoke in other languages. And the King James translation says that the, uh, it looked like tongues above their head, tongues of fire. And we've missed it. Folks, what happened was, just like in the Old Testament, the pillar of fire came into that upper room and it divided into individual pillars of fire that came to rest over the heads of each of the believers. You, like you said, our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go is the place where God dwells. That's why we need to be living holy all the time. Because even when you're alone and you think no one's watching, the Holy Spirit's right there. It's not a place where you go. He doesn't live in temples built by hands. We thank God for a wonderful building that you that go to this church have been blessed to, to meet with. But this is not a sacred place. The sacred place is where he dwells. It's in us. But what, what have we done? Even though God's word says that whole it's holy and you can't go there has been removed. And even though God's word says he doesn't live in temples made by hands. We made oral traditions that were passed down and we judged people on whether or not they were bringing something they shouldn't have done or they were running in the sanctuary because this is where God is. And not only that, we also judged them on according to how they dressed in that room. Haven't we not? Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm sorry? I think my, my nine-year-old son had a little talking before you taught this. No, but w <laughs> why, why is that? Was this what he was talking about? No, because we always are like, come on, you got to dress a little nicer today. <laughs> Stop running in the sanctuary. <laughs> Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4. But now as we're about to read this, these are instructions to women and how they are to be acting in their relationship with their husbands and all. But... This is a passage that's been used by preachers over the years to determine how women are to dress. I'm about to show you something that shows that this should have never, ever, ever been used in that way. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 3, verses 3 through 4. It says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Remember how for years preachers have said that women can't go to church wearing braided hair or gold jewelry. You know what's funny is if they're really going to take this passage and say that this passage says they can't braid their hair, they can't wear gold jewelry. They have to go and said that they can't wear clothes. Isn't that what it says? Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, or the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. If you're going to say you can't braid your hair, you can't wear gold jewelry, you got to say you can't wear clothes, which, by the way, would increase attendance. But that's not what we're trying to do. But what he's saying simply is this, is we should not be looking to make our outward appearance appear to be something that we're not. How many people show up on Sunday wearing their Sunday best? But God knows their hearts. Go to James chapter 2. Some of you ladies have been taught that a woman can't wear pants when she goes to church. It's not what the Bible teaches. 
Go to James chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 9. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And are not the rich the ones you who oppress you and the ones you, who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Here the scripture even says, when you gather for worship on Sunday, when you gather in your assembly, don't be looking at how people are dressed and judging who's better and who's not according to how they're dressed. I don't care if someone shows up wearing clothes that don't seem appropriate. What it is is the heart that we're looking for. And that's what the scripture has taught all along. But we've made these traditions and they were handed down. And you're going to see a couple crop up in the rest of our study tonight. But without realizing it, folks, a lot of people have been turned away from the church because they went to church and all they were handed was oral traditions that had been handed down for a long time. And they were judged on whether or not they were holy by whether or not they kept the oral traditions, not the word of God. And folks, if we're, if we're, unless we're blind, we should hopefully see that this has happened in the church for a long, long time. That attitude of the Pharisees, the hypocritical attitude of the Pharisees is here today. Now, some of you might say, well, I got a problem. I still have a, I still think that someone should be dressed. Well, hang on. We'll deal with that at the end of the study. So just if you're mad at me, it's okay. I kind of like it. And uh, um, just stick around to the end of the study. Then Jesus clarifies what actually defiles someone. Go back to Matthew chapter 15. He now lays out what actually defiles somebody. Look at verses 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, before I finish reading, let me just say real quickly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. We're going to cover it. We'll come back to this passage later in our study of Matthew because there's an area where we're going to come back and refer to it. But let me just show what Jesus' attitude was. The, the, the disciples were like, that offended them. And Jesus says, yeah, so. But let's be honest. Haven't most of us, even preachers, are more worried about what people think? If I tell them the truth, they might be offended. And let's soften it. Let's smooth it. Jesus wasn't that way. We're not trying to be offensive. We're not intentionally trying to be jerks. But at the same time, let the truth be the truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. Don't be worried about what people think. I, I know too many pastors in, 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 in the church today who 
they make their decisions or they, they pass out what God has to say this after doing this, sucking on a finger and checking the winds of what everybody's opinion is. Just be willing to share what God's word says and love people in the process. Now, keep reading. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Jump over to chapter 7 of Mark. Look at verses 14 through 23. Mark 7, verses 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now before I read any more, we've got to stop. How many of you, I want to show hands tonight, how many of you have ever heard the preacher say that in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is on that roof and he's hungry, and he has this vision of the sheet coming down with all these unclean animals on it, when God says, arise, kill and eat, Peter says, Lord, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. How many of you have ever heard the preacher say that's the first time that God declared everything clean, all foods clean? Oh yeah, most of us have. But actually, when Jesus says to Peter in Acts chapter 10, don't call what I've called clean unclean, it was at this point he had already declared all foods clean. He says, what comes into you won't defile you. Stop. Hang on for a second. Now I got you, Jim. The Old Testament law did say that there were certain things you couldn't eat, animals with cloven hooves and different things like that, and that they would be unclean if they ate those things. The scripture did say that, yes. But at this point, Jesus now brings out the new as well as the old, and he explains that at this point, all foods are clean. Now, why would he do that? Well, let me explain something to you. I don't have time to get into the full detail, but the short version I'll explain to you this way. A lot of God's Old Testament laws were also for our protection. Some were to show us our brokenness and our sin and we can't keep it. Some were actually because God knew stuff that we didn't know back then, like germs. But before I get to germs, let me just, y'all know that the law said that a baby, a male boy had to be circumcised on the eighth day. You do a little research and you'll find out, nurses know this, doctors know this, that every child when they're born has a certain level of their blood clots but it increases every day of their life until their, anybody want to take a wild guess? Their eighth day, and from that point on, it's the highest it'll ever be, their ability to clot, and then it'll slowly go down. God said, on the eighth day, circumcise that boy. Why on the eighth day? Lots of reasons. One of them was, he'll clot faster. On top of that, you remember what happened during the Black Plague? We didn't know about germs. We didn't know about the need to change rubber gloves. And so doctors would be dealing with somebody and they would die from whatever disease they had and they'd go work on the next patient and they kept passing the germs around. We're all doing coronavirus masks now. You know, I'm interested to see what it's going to be like when I fly next week. And then when I fly to Israel, going overseas, it's going to look like there's a bunch of bandits everywhere because we know there's germs out there. And remember what God said? He said, if you touch a dead body, 
Don't have any contact with anyone for a week. Why? Incubation period. God knows stuff. At this point, we also know if you don't cook the pork right, you're going to get sick. At this point, he declared all foods clean. And he was saying to them, it's not what comes in that makes you unclean. Yes, we had those laws. And there's more reason than what I just said. But yes, we had those laws. But at this point, he's saying, don't think that what comes into you is going to defile you. What defiles you is what comes from inside of you out, because that comes from your heart. Now, listen closely to what I'm about to say next, then. If what truly defiles us comes from within us, why do we think that we can clean ourselves or others by following a set of man-made rules that only deal with the outside actions? Definitely controls part of it. But also, it's we've totally misunderstood. You can't make somebody live right because they dress nice on Sunday. Is, dress, is your boy dressing up going to make him get cleaned up on the inside? No. Go to Colossians chapter 2, folks. <laughs> because the clothes will be restricting. That will keep him from running around as much. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 through 23. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that another one of those uh, oral traditions that have been passed down? That Sunday was the Sabbath, even though Sunday isn't the Sabbath. And even if you look at the scriptures and do a full study of the Sabbath, you'll see that God actually said that that was a, a, a thing that he did between him and Israel. It was something that Israel was to do to signify their specialness between them and God and to, for the rest of the world. Yet we all of a sudden took a truth from the word of God and we extrapolated from it and we made oral traditions. And we all grew up where you're not allowed to eat out on Sunday. You're not allowed to do anything fun. You can't do anything active. Uh, you shouldn't work. Can't what? Had to eat fish on Friday. That's another oral tradition. You just showed where you came, what denomination you came from. <laughs> Look at verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? To Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. And if you don't know what asceticism is, it means you abstain from stuff. It's, you're, you're, you're actually saying, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to do these things. Don't let anybody disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according, there it is, to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All the man-made rules that have been handed down over the years in the church to get everybody to get cleaned up and behave never changed anybody's heart. By the way, um, 
Who were the best that we've seen in the scriptures at keeping these man-made outside rules? Pharisees. What did Jesus call them? Hypocrites. Very good. Man, I love it when the Holy Spirit's connecting. That's exactly where we're going. Go to Matthew 23. Go to Matthew 23. If you weren't an elder, you are now. All right. Go to Matthew 23. I only said that because I know you're an elder. So I'm not going to bestow that on anybody. You know, so go to Matthew 23. Look at verses 23, 25 through 28. Look closely what Jesus says about the Pharisees. And they were the best at keeping all the man-made rules. Matthew 23, verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, there it is again, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Folks, I'm going to ask you a question. And this isn't just for the people that are here. This is for people that are listening online. And please listen closely because the Spirit of God wants to ask you a question tonight. Does this apply to you? You see, you may fool other people, but you can't fool God. The Pharisees fooled a lot of people but not God. Judas fooled the rest of the disciples, but not Jesus. By the way, if you are under conviction tonight, if the Spirit of God is talking to you about the fact that you are more interested in your outward appearance than what's really going on in the inside, I have good news for you. That means God loves you, and He's chasing you. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 19 and 20. Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Folks, we've always heard that that was a passage of Jesus inviting people to be saved. But it's more than that. Definitely, Jesus says to the world, Look, if I'm, my Spirit of God has opened your eyes to your sin and your need of a Savior, come, come to me, and I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll give you salvation. But it's more than that. We've already referenced it a little bit tonight. Did you notice that even though Peter had been saved, he still was working under old man-made rules and traditions? And in chapter 10, Jesus chases him down a little bit, teaching him to go into the Gentile's house, even though the oral tradition was that they weren't allowed to go into a Gentile's house. Remember how Jesus, when the Jews would stay away from Samaria, the oral tradition was you don't even go through Samaria. Jesus broke the oral tradition and the passed down stuff. And he went and talked to women in public and he went into Samaria. He had no problem going into a Gentile's house. But Peter had to be reminded of the fact that he was still following man-made rules. And all of us, Jim Johnson included, have to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to keep talking to us. There are a lot of times that we're still holding on to man-made traditions instead of just following the Spirit of God. Now, in the time that we have left, as we wrap up tonight, I'm going to take you a little bit deeper. For those people that were mad at me because I stepped on some of your favorite traditions, I'm going to take you a little bit deeper in what God's word has to say about this matter. When it comes to differing opinions in the church and as to some of the traditions, we must first remember that whichever side we end up on, 
Loving our brother or our sister is more important than our knowledge. You may not agree with me about how people should dress on Sunday. You may not agree with me on whether or not that's a special room. You may not agree with me on some of these things we've talked about, the Sabbath or whatever. Listen closely. The Bible says that if you see things differently than me, and Christians will, how you treat me and how I treat you when we don't see things the same way is far more important than who's right and who's wrong. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Exactly. You'll know that they're my disciples by their love one for another. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verses 1 through 3. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, by the way, this is all hyperbole here, as you're about to see. If you ever run across any preacher that says he fully understands all the Bible and can explain it all, run away from that guy. He's lying and he's nuts. I don't fully understand it. As much as God's showing me, I'm realizing the more I study the scriptures, the more I don't fully grasp. But I can tell you this much. He says, if I have all, understand, all the knowledge and I understand all mysteries, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. So... There are going to be times that Christians don't always see things the same way. When I was a young preacher back in 1988, and God started to develop the gift that I actually preached for the first time in 1984, 85. And then I started preaching regularly in 1988. I remember preaching a sermon in which I said this because I believed it. And if I believe it, God must believe it, too. And so I preached this. I said, I said, if you have the same Holy Spirit in you that I do, we should always agree. <laughs> Made sense, didn't it? But the more I studied the scriptures, the more I came to realize the scriptures teach that Christians are not all going to see things the same way. Actually, Paul says, and if in some way, Matthew, uh, Philippians chapter 3, if in any say, around verse 16, if there's any way you see things different than me, the Lord will show you. I'm not going to try to beat you down to get you on my side. On top of that, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it says, uh, no, sorry, 2 Timothy 2, 24, it says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to an understanding. So when you don't agree with a fellow Christian about a certain issue, love is far more important than you being right. Now, whichever side you may be on, make sure that you do not use your beliefs as a weapon against or a way to look down on your brother or your sister who sees it differently. Go to Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at most of Romans 14 in the time we have left, but we're not going to cover the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read to you most of it. Look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, don't invite your brother or your sister over to your house so you can convince them where you're right and they're wrong. There's a lot of people that have done that. That's happened to me over the years, by the way, as a preacher, because I'm up there and I'll preach and I'll teach. And I've had so many people say, Jim, hey, won't you and Becky come over for dinner? We'd love to have you over. We haven't had you at our house. We'd love to show you a nice meal. And then the whole purpose of the meal was to show us where they disagreed with us on the certain teaching. Don't welcome them to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything. Isn't that what we just read? While the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, the reason they were eating only vegetables is back in that day, you got your meat at the marketplace. And what was being sold in the marketplace 
Sometimes, and a lot of times, was meat that had been sacrificed to idols. They would sacrifice it to their idols, and they would burn it on the altar to their idols, and then they would take that meat, bring it to the marketplace, and sell it. And they would also sell it cheaper than the meat that hadn't been pre-cooked. Well, Christians, being good Walmart shoppers, would go to the marketplace and say, here's some meat that hasn't been prepared yet, and it's expensive. Here's meat that's already been cooked, and it's cheaper. I'm going to buy that. And everybody was like, no, 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 no. That's been sacrificed to an idol. You can't eat that. By the way, let me just say this. A lot of Christians today are like, let's boycott this place because they give money to this or that. And some of you are going to fall on one side and some of you are going to fall on another. It's kind of sad, though, that Christians are known that we were not going to do business with you because you're not holy like us. It's kind of sad. But one person thinks they can eat anything while the other eats only vegetables let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. When we say, I, don't, I can't believe that she actually shops at Target. Or I can't, you say, I can't believe that they haven't boycotted Target like me. You're making judgments about your brother or sister, and you're actually making judgments about somebody else's servant. Whose servant do they belong to? It's the Lord, and he's going to take care of them. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. That's that Sabbath thing again. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Some of you do not feel right going into church, not dressed up. You better dress up. Just as you sit there, don't look around at all the people that aren't dressed up and think you're better than them. And those of you that are comfortable going to church on Sunday, not dressed up, don't sit there and think, that's an old, weak fogey that's dressed up that way. Leave them alone. Because if they're doing it because they're doing it to the Lord and their eyes are off their brothers and sisters, then it's good. And if you're doing what you're doing with your eyes on the Lord and you feel comfortable, in your, then you'd be, we would be wrong. If I told you it's okay to do something that you're really not comfortable doing, I'd be causing you to sin, as you're about to see in just a second. Go to chapter 14, verses 17 through 23. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats 
because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What Paul's saying is this. He said, look, if you really aren't comfortable and you don't sense in your spirit that it's okay to do something that another Christian says it's okay and they're comfortable with, don't you do it. Because anything you don't do by faith is sin. If you feel comfortable doing something and the Spirit of God's not bringing you under conviction, but let me just tell you, don't ever say that something that the Bible clearly says is sin is okay. That's a whole different issue, which we'll get to later on. As we close tonight, how many of you remember years and years ago when the World Series was between the New York Yankees and the New York Mets? Remember the Subway Series? Remember that? Years ago, when that series was going on, God gave me an amazing picture one day as I was sitting there thinking about the Subway Series. And I imagined two of best friends sitting on the subway, and you're riding on the subway watching these two best friends Laugh and hug and joke and high five. But one of them's wearing Yankees clothing and the other one's wearing Mets clothing. And you sit there watching these two people just get along and love each other. Yet, if you were to ask the Yankee guy, which is the best team, the Yankees or the Mets? He'd say, Yankees. The Mets stink. I'm surprised they're even in the World Series. They're such a horrible team. You ask the Mets guy, who's the best team? He'd say, it's the Mets. The, the Yankees are like a farm team. They shouldn't not only be in the World Series, they shouldn't be in the Major League Baseball. They're so horrible. They don't agree on this issue at all. How come they love each other? They must love baseball. And even though they don't see it the same way, it's brought them together. And folks, let's be honest. There are a few denominations out there today, are there not? And the world knows this. And as long as they're preaching Christ and salvation by faith alone, there's going to be areas they may differ than you and I. But instead of seeing us fight with each other and spend all our time in the pulpit bashing all those other churches that aren't doing it like us, if they see us love each other, even though they know we don't fully agree on some things, what are they going to say? They must love Jesus. There's going to be areas that you were uncomfortable with things and now you are there's gonna be things that you were comfortable and now you're not the spirit of god's gonna get us all to where he wants us to be you live the life in obedience to the holy spirit and the word of god that he has for you take your eyes off your brother and your sister around you but i would warn you examine what you're hanging on to is it the word of god or is it a tradition of men i love you we'll see you in a month thanks for coming